Psalm 19 this morning. Psalm 19. So last week we talked about uh, Psalm 90, and the word says that uh, uh, it's talking about the sovereignty of God, the, the greatness of God, how far beyond us He is. And then uh, Moses wrote in Psalm 90, in light of that, he said, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So teach us to understand how to live in light of who God is. Teach us to understand how holy, how far beyond us, how eternal, how all power for all these things that God is. Teach us to understand that and then to understand how many days we have here and how to live out our days in light of who God is. Uh, and we're continuing uh, kind of a similar theme this week uh, as we talk about uh, Psalm 19, but it is talking today about uh, the perfections of God and His revelation of Himself, that, that God speaks today. Uh, that's what it comes down to, is understanding. There, there are many that question today where God is. Uh, if you, if you would ever, uh, as I've said before, I like to watch, you know, debates with Christians and atheists, and uh, so many of them will ask why God is so hidden, why He's done so much to hide Himself. And Psalm 19 addresses all of that, the ways that God has revealed Himself and the ways that God speaks to humanity today. And then at the end, uh, David says uh, how we should live then in light of what God has revealed about himself uh, to mankind. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Psalm 19, starting in, uh, in verse 1, says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, uh, which is like a bridegroom coming from its pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So the first thing that we understand from this is that God hasn't hidden himself at all. That there is something that God has given to all of humanity. He has revealed himself to all of humanity across all of time, from the beginning all the way until what we know is no more, until the, the physical world, the natural world that we know is no more. At the end, when Christ comes back, God has revealed himself from the beginning and will until that final moment, through simply through what is made. Uh, Verse 1 there, it says, uh, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. So what we see around us in creation speaks forth the glory of God. What we see around us on a daily basis speaks of who God is. 
Um, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. The the uh, the Greek word or the Hebrew word for uh, glory there is kabod. It means weight or heaviness, figuratively, in a good sense. It means weight or heaviness. So what we're talking about the heavens declare the glory of God. So when we go out and we see all that surrounds us, it speaks, it declares the weight or the heaviness of who God is. That's a way of saying it tells us how far beyond us God is. That when you go out and you actually take time to consider the things that are around us, when we take time, uh, you know, most days we get up and we go about our day, we don't even consider all that is, is going on around us. We, we don't, that, that means nothing to us. We don't think about the trees. We don't think about the stars. We don't think about how we're sustained by the sun. We don't think about, as I said before, that we're flying through space at 67,000 miles per hour as we sit here. We, none of those things ever cross our mind. But if they would, if we would ever consider those things, we would immediately see them declaring the weight or the heaviness of who God is and how far beyond us he is. Uh, you see, one of the most important things that we can do, I think, as Christians is to be aware of the things around us. Uh, There's so many things. We make things so much more complicated sometimes than they need to be. Uh, you know, as well, one time I was, uh, it was before I met Jamie, I was living in this one-bedroom apartment out in the middle of uh, Brookville, and uh, I don't know where I was at. I think I was leading worship somewhere, and I got home at like, uh, around like one o'clock in the morning, and uh, uh, I don't know why. Just that day, I started walk to walk back to my apartment, and uh, uh, it's in the middle of the night where you know most lights that are on timers have shut off and all of that stuff. So for some reason, I just looked up that night. I looked up at the sky, and it was totally clear, and I was just overwhelmed by you know the heavens above and what you see in the stars and the in creation above. And I stood there for probably 15 minutes just staring. And uh, I can only imagine if my landlord would have seen me standing out in his driveway, what he would have thought. But uh, uh, just amazed at what God has created in the order in the universe and how we take that so for granted, but yet it speaks to the heaviness, the weight of who God is. You see, too many times we miss the glory of God. We miss how big He is. We miss how beyond us He is because we never take time to consider the things around us. And when is the last time you ever just stopped? And uh, Even out here, just go out here and look over the hills. When is the last time you did something like that? When is the last time you, you just looked at what goes on around us and realized how small we are and how it speaks to a Creator? There was a time, I remember also in the Dominican Republic... Um, Years ago, but my sister and I went to uh, a place in one of the cities and we stayed a couple nights, but we were by the beach and, and one night. It was totally dark, but I, I don't know what was happening. I was out there by myself, but I was just standing right at the edge of, you know, where the waves would come in and looking out over the sun, or the moon was shining over the, the beach and the ocean and seeing the stars. And it was, again, just overwhelming. The heaviness, the weight of... First of all, how small I am, how insignificant we are in the order of all things, but yet the heaviness of God and that he who is that far beyond me would have a concern for me. Uh, 
And I think I said before, but going to the Dominican Republic, where I take the most pictures usually is the, the flight over, you get over the Caribbean and you see these islands and uh, the clouds, I, I'm sure there's some scientific reason, but the clouds always congregate just directly over the islands. It seems like there's nothing around, but over the islands, there's clouds that are just built up there. And then you can see uh, right off the end of the islands, it's just this uh, you know, kind of white, and then it gets light blue, and then it gets darker and darker out into the ocean. And it is amazing seeing that. And that, to me, is overwhelming because it speaks to the heaviness, the weight, the glory of who God is. Uh, and, and we could go through, someday we will do this, someday we're going to talk about uh, Christian apologetics, meaning giving a reason for the hope that we have. First of all, I want to tell you young people, there is reason to believe that God exists. People are going to tell you that you're foolish for believing that God exists. They're going to tell you that you are not intelligent. They are going to tell you that you are dumb for believing that there is a God who exists. There is absolute reason to believe that God exists. And I don't have time to get into all those things, the created order of the universe today, but there are things that are mind-blowing showing how finely tuned the universe is for us to exist here. There is absolute reason. Everything that we believe here, it's, it's all about us acting in faith, but our faith isn't blind. There is reason. It is reasonable to believe that there is a God who exists. So don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. Uh, and eventually we'll, we will get into all of those kind of things. But uh, what we are talking about is that, again, from the beginning, God has revealed his glory. He has revealed that he is, that he exists, that he is there. Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, uh, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Uh, and you can look into, again, all of the complexities of the universe, what we see in the heavens, or you can look even at the, the human body uh, look simply at the cell of a human being, the DNA that is contained in each code, in each cell that tells your body who you are. And that DNA in your cells is the equivalent of digital code. Even atheist scientists, I have Richard Dawkins on record saying that DNA is the equivalent of digital code. Now what I'm saying is people will tell you that you're foolish for believing that a God exists, but where will you ever go in this world where you see information, where you see something that is coded to tell something what it should do, when do you ever see that and think that it came from nothing? That it randomly came to be? That doesn't, that doesn't happen. We never ever, you would be told that you were foolish for thinking a book just randomly came to be. Or an airplane just randomly came to be. That, that doesn't happen, ever. You see, what we're saying is that there are intricacies to human life, to creation, all of these things that speak to the glory of God, the weight of who He is. And as we look at those things around us, we can know that God exists because He speaks to us. That way, the heavens declare God's glory. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Uh, we know that uh, there is no place then where that does not speak. In verse 2, it says, Day to day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice isn't heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. Everywhere 
in the natural world, God's glory is proclaimed. Everywhere. There's not one place where God's glory has not been proclaimed or displayed for mankind to see. Uh, so, the Bible says in Psalm 14:1, it says, The fool says in their heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Because it would be foolish for us to look at all the things around us and to conclude that it was from a random process. It would be foolish for us to go out here and look at all of these things and think with enough time, with matter, with energy, all of these things and chance that this would all come to be. That is foolish. Fool says in his heart, there is no God. Everything around us points us toward the reality of a creative God that transcends the universe and all that we know. Everything is subject to him. So God reveals himself. God speaks through what is created, through what we see on a daily basis. But are we listening? Are we looking? Are we trying to see him in that? Are we looking for him? So God reveals himself to us in creation. Then, starting in verse 7, God speaks to us uh, through his law or his counsel or his revealed word is what we're talking about. God speaks to us through his revealed word. Uh, Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Uh, So what we're saying here is that God reveals himself in different ways. God reveals himself in nature, but nature does not tell us then how we are to interact with God. Nature reveals the glory of God, his weight, his heaviness, all that he is, that he is beyond us. It reveals those things to us, but then God hasn't just left it at that. He has given us his word so that we may understand how to relate to him. How to function, how to have communion, how to have peace with him. That is why he's given us himself revealed through his word. Uh, So what is his word? It says here that God's word is his law and it is perfect. His word is statutes or testimony of the Lord and they are trustworthy. Uh, And what that means is his statutes or his testimony of who he is, is revealing our responsibility in light of his holy standard, it, when we see God's word, it says that it is trustworthy. His statutes are trustworthy, meaning that what God res, has revealed about himself to us tells us what his standards are. And his standards are trustworthy. That if this is how you will approach me, if this is how you will choose to interact with me, then you will have peace and communion and fellowship with me. It is trustworthy, meaning that it never changes. Meaning that what God has revealed about himself, as he speaks in his word, it is the same today and tomorrow and the next day. It has been the same. It will always be the same. God cannot change. It is trustworthy, meaning that when God says something to you, you can know that he's not going to change the standard tomorrow. When God has told me how I should interact with him, how I should pursue peace and communion and fellowship with me, With him, that will be the same. He doesn't change that. 
God is the same. Uh, God's words are his commands, and they are radiant. His commands have authority over man. We understand that his commands, uh, his word that he has revealed about himself, are his commands, and they are radiant, or some versions say pure. And that means that his commands that he has revealed about himself have authority over man. What that tells us is when I understand the glory of God, the weight of who God is, his holiness, how far beyond us he is, I understand myself then in light of who he is. And we'll see that. David gets to that in a few moments. But he understands his own heart. And again, my spiritual poverty in light of who God is. And when I understand that, I understand that he has authority over me. You see, I don't approach him however I feel like it. I don't approach him based on what I think things should be like. I see his word. It is trustworthy. It has revealed to me how I approach him. And I understand that I am the one who approaches him in his way because he is the ultimate authority. He is the one I'm accountable to. You understand that that means a lot because a lot of people that don't believe in God don't believe in God because they don't want to have an authority over them. They want to be the ultimate authority of their life. It becomes rational for somebody to try to explain the complexity of the universe in light of uh, simply natural means. Because if it's simply the if if all that we know is a matter of time plus matter plus chance, then there is no authority over me. I am not accountable to anybody. I do whatever I feel like because I am God. But you see, that's not how things function. God has revealed himself. He is. Then he has revealed himself through his words, his commands that are trustworthy and pure, telling me that he is the authority over me, that I am under him, that I am accountable to him. And as we understand that we, as we sit here, we understand then, the Bible says that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is the one who is the ultimate authority over me. See, I think sometimes even in the church, people don't want to admit that there is an authority over them. I'm not talking about any other man, but we don't even want to sometimes be accountable to God. God is the authority over me. But you see, it is revealed in his word that even as the authority over you in me, he has chosen to relate to us through his mercy and grace. His disposition towards us is goodness, is love. It is also just and righteous. That is why he has to punish sin. But God's disposition towards us is goodness. And we'll see that again as we go a little farther here. Uh, but his word that he has revealed to us, his ordinances or judgments are sure and altogether righteous. Uh, what we have to understand about what God has revealed to us through his word is that this is not just some religious document that we study to try to understand how to reform behaviors as a people. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a personal revelation from the God of the universe. A personal revelation from the God that has created all things and He sustains them by His power. He has revealed Himself or will reveal Himself personally to those who pursue Him. 
You see, when God says to you something in your life, when, he, when you're studying His Word and something jumps out at you and you feel conviction in your heart, that is the God of heaven revealing Himself to you. That is an encounter with the God that has created all things. That's not just some religious experience that, is, uh, that, that is, comes out of your emotions or in your mind, but when God convicts your heart of something, that is an experience with God. You understand, because we can't just think up these things on our own. The Bible says that the, the, the things that are contained in the Word of God, the spiritual things are foolishness to those who are perishing. When I am walking apart from God, the things of His Word are foolishness to me. But you see, the Bible says that spiritual things are discerned by spiritual people. When I have the Spirit of God in my heart, and I am discerning something spiritually. When God says, this is, a con- this is something you need to deal with. When he convicts you of something, you are spiritually discerning the things of God that he is revealing to you. It is an encounter with the creator of the universe when he convicts you of something. And his conviction always is an extension of his mercy meant to lead you to more freedom and communion and peace with him. So all of the things that we see that God has revealed about himself are a personal, living interaction with the creator of the universe. We have to understand that. That is essential to our Christian walk. Everything that he's showing us is himself looking at you, a mere human, in the midst of all of this amazing immensity of the universe, a mere human looking at you and saying, I care about you enough that I will speak into your life leading you to have communion with me and fellowship with me. It is personal what he is doing in your life. If you will allow him to do it, he knows you by name and he wants to work in you personally. And he works, wants to work in the people beside you personally. God is not a distant being from us, but he steps into time desiring to work in each individual one of us. Um, Psalm 19 then says, uh, as we understand God's word, as we pursue him, he has revealed himself through his word, what he has given us. He has revealed his mind, his character, who he is in his word. And as we pursue that, as we encounter him through his word, the Bible says, in Psalm 19, a few things that will happen in our hearts as a result of allowing ourselves to be rooted in the laws of the Lord, what He has revealed about Himself. It says in verse 7, it says, the law, of the, word, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives our souls. As you pursue what God has revealed about Himself through His Word, it will revive your soul. It will give you life. It will revive what has been lost. Maybe there's a time where you have chosen to step away to to allow your relationship with God to grow cold, but God will, through His Word, revive your soul. He will revive what is within you. He will give you more. He will give you something that is living. Second half of verse 7, it says, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. It will give you wisdom. The Word of God will revive your soul and it will give you wisdom. It will teach you how to live. It will teach you how to function in this world. It will teach you how to live 
beyond just getting by. I'm not talking about material things, but I'm talking about with your eyes fixed on heaven. Again, Psalm 90 said, teach me to number my days that I may gain higher of wisdom. God will give you wisdom through his word to understand how to function in this world. And how to live eternally, even right now. That I, I'm, there's going to be a moment where my physical body draws its last, its last breath. But when I am living in wisdom, I am already living in the kingdom of God that is, is now. It is, uh, it is set up now. It is something that we can step into and live as a part of now. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wisdom is me living in that now, and it carries me through to eternity. My physical body may be separated from my soul, but as I am walking in wisdom, I am moving towards that, and I am carried into eternity in the kingdom of God. You see, wisdom through the Word teaches us how to live in light of eternity. Verse 8, it says, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The Word of God gives us joy. There are a lot of Christians that need joy. The Word of God will teach us to be joyous because it gives us perspective on the spiritual world. It gives us perspective on reality. It helps us to understand that even as the Bible says, all of the light momentary sufferings that we endure here are not worth comparing to the eternal hope that we have ahead. When we have the Word of God in perspective and are pursuing God in that way, we're living in light of the hope that is off in the distance, the imperishable, the living hope, are, as the, we talked about in First Peter, that we are co-heirs with Christ. All of these things are set before us and given us, to us a great, in a greater and greater perspective, and we live in light of that then. We live in light of eternity. And that should give us joy. The last half of verse 8 says, "...the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes." We see this confirmed in the Word of God. Psalm 119 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Word of God will shine a light before you, helping you navigate your way through this life. It will show you the way. As we talked about Wednesday night, you might not be able to see off in the distance way up. Some people want to know what's going to happen to me in, in five years or ten years. Where am I going to be at? That might not be what God shows you. He's going to show you enough to navigate the land that you are walking through right now. And as you continue on, He's going to reveal more and more and more to you. But the Word of God, as we are immersed in the Word of God, it gives light for us to navigate this world. Verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is pure and enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. It is enduring forever, sure and altogether righteousness. It is something sure, the Word of God that He has revealed about Himself, what we hold in our hands when we have a Bible, God has revealed about Himself and it is sure. You understand that we live in a, in a world where nothing is sure. Based on what people think, nothing is sure. There's people you can talk to who will tell you that, that there, is no, uh, there is no objective truth. The truth is whatever you feel it is. There are people that live in light of that. That nothing is sure. But the ordinances, the testimonies, the words of our God are sure. A sure foundation for us to stand on in this world where everything is like the waves of the sea tossing back and forth. You see, the, the, the laws of God are sure, a foundation. The Word of God says that in Luke chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 47. It says, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, 
I will show you what they are like. They are like a man uh, building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house. Uh, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. You see, what is happening when we live our lives based on the Word of God is we are standing on a foundation that cannot be shaken. And the house endures. Now that means that you are going to face, it says the waves came and they struck the house. Storms are going to come. Suffering is going to come. And it is going to, uh, it is going to hit you. It is going to shake you. But if you are founded on the sure foundation, if you are built on the sure foundation of God, the waves will not overtake you. It said that the house stood the test because it was built on the foundation of God. That is what His Word does. When we are immersed in it, it builds us on a foundation. And in verse 10 it says, They are more precious than gold, than more pure, than uh, much pure gold. Uh, and then Proverbs 3 says this, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver, and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Proverbs 4, verse 7 says, The beginning of wisdom is this, Get wisdom, though it costs you all you have. Get understanding. You see, we pursue understanding, though it costs all we have. If it costs everything within us, we should pursue wisdom. Because when we do that, we're pursuing something that is more profitable than silver or gold or any riches in this world. This is one of the things that we have to get as Christians. We don't, we don't tell you in church to read your Bible just because that's what you do as a Christian. I'm not telling you that just because I'm a pastor and I was told in school or by somebody else that's what I have to tell you. We're saying that because this is life. This is your light. This is your foundation. Everything that you have, this is it. You want to be effective in this world? You want to be effective in glorifying God? You want to be effective in affecting people? Build it on this foundation. Because that foundation is sure. Now you might be able to do something well on your own. Maybe. But that doesn't mean that it's going to endure forever. When what we do is built on the sure foundation of God, it is effective now for Him and it will be effective through eternity for Him. The only way that I can have an eternal impact positively for God is when I do it in the light of who He is. In the light of His Word that brings revival. In the light of His Word that brings light. In the light of His Word that is solid in foundation. You see, I can, I can have an eternal impact without God, but it's only going to be negative. If I'm the person that somehow drags somebody else down, or if I choose not to live up to responsibilities, or maybe there was somebody I was supposed to influence and I didn't, because I didn't pursue the things of God. You can, if without God, the only influence you can have eternally is a negative one. But you understand that God has called us to be ambassadors for Him. To be people that would be representatives of His position on all matters of life as we walk through this earth. And as we do that, we are bearers. The Bible says that we are stewards of God's graces in various forms. In 1 Peter, it says we are stewards of God's graces in its various forms. That means that when you are walking with God, He has 
put his graces in your heart and they would be expressed to people around you. You see, but we're not, we don't have to just try to impact people out of our own power. We don't have to try to just come up with good theories or good plans to try to impact people. When we walk with God, I am a steward of the graces that He has placed in my heart. The very graces that come from the Creator of the universe, He has put in my heart, and I am a steward of that grace. You see, when I'm, when I'm working for Him out of His power... When I'm doing work for Him, I am doing work through His grace that He has given to me to express through me. I don't have to do it out of my own power. Verse 14, um, I'm sorry, verse 12. So God speaks through creation in His Word. And David says this, in light of that, in light of God revealing himself through creation, the weight of who God is, David is sitting, he is, he is seeing all of this. You can imagine him out in, in nature looking and being in awe of God and writing this psalm through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about the ways that God has personally then revealed himself through his word. And he says then in verse 12, about himself, about our nature. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins that they may not rule over me. He says, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. He comes to this place then of recognizing his helplessness in light of who God is. And as I've said before, that is the moment where his spirit is truly humbled And he comes before God, and again, as I've said, his pockets are empty. He doesn't have money to give God to buy his position. He doesn't have good works to buy his position before God. But he comes before the God who has revealed himself in his holiness. And he says, how can I discern my own errors? How can I fix my own ways? How can I fix myself? He pleads with God in verse 13. He says, Keep your servant from willful sins that they may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. He recognizes his own helplessness. He recognizes the full condition of his heart. And he understands that he has no power to change it. But he pleads with God. God, and this is how we function as believers, that we have communion with God. We have fellowship with God. We live light, life in light of His Word that brings revival and light and power and life and all of these things that God imparts to us through His Word, through His personal revelation of Himself. And as I walk in that communion in light of His Word, His Spirit makes His Word living in me, showing me my heart. And he gives the power to overcome the things of the heart. God reveals the heart, but he always gives the opportunity for refining of the heart. We talked, I think, last week about um, Isaiah chapter 6. And when Isaiah is in the throne room of God and he sees God, and immediately in that moment he says, Woe is me, I'm a man that is undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. 
Because the encounter with God's revelation of himself reveals the nature of his heart and reveals that I don't have any power to do it. I can't change it. But then what does God do immediately? He sends the seraph to get a coal from the altar to purify Isaiah. So what we are saying is what God has revealed about himself and what David is saying here is I see that my heart is deceitful as the bible says and i think it's jeremiah 17 but it says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can know it god can know it that's it god is the one that knows it you don't even know your heart you can think you do but we don't know the depths of it but god reveals it and then he always gives the opportunity for refining through his mercy and his love God is drawing us to Himself so that He can reveal our need for Him and then that He can offer the opportunity for us to be refined by Him. He says, Keep your, will, your, your servant from willful sins, the man that not below me. Then, through the power of God, keeping me from those sinful things, then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression by the power of God working in my life. And then finally, this is the last thing I say as the worship team comes up. He says in verse 14, he says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In light of all of these things, in, in my standing in awe of who you are and what you have revealed, the weight of who you are in creation, what you have revealed through your word that refreshes, it revives, it brings light. It is a sure foundation. All of these things, understanding that God is the one that helps me to live in a way that I don't have guilt. God is the one who helps me to live in peace and communion with him. And then he says, in light of all of that, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's saying, may the words that come out of my mouth reflect your holiness. May the things that my heart is given to be things that would reflect your character. You see, that is one of the highest, if not, that, that probably is the highest aspiration that we can have as humans. That the words of my mouth and the things that my heart uh, offers its affections to or its attention May the words of my mouth and the affections of my heart be pleasing to you. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, we, we, can, we can go on offering our hearts to all, countless things in this world. There is no shortage of things that are trying to gain the attention of your heart. We can continue that way. You can be sure there are people that will sit through churches all across the country and the world their whole lives and they will never get to the point of actually desiring that the meditation of their heart and the affections of their heart would be pleasing to God. There are people that will never, they will never get to the point where that is a concern for them. That is a thing for us to mourn over because they have no idea the freedom that God wants to work in their life. They have no idea the revival, the, the life-giving joy that God wants to impart to them. They have no idea. 
And the worst part about it is some will hear it over and over their whole lives. But you see, there is also, there are people, and I've seen it, that you, you can imagine the person, maybe you've come across them, where everything that they say is out of joy. Giving glory to God. Everything that they say. It doesn't matter what suffering, it doesn't matter what pain, everything that they say is out of their desire to glorify God, knowing that everything they have comes from Him. You see, that is what we... This, this is what this comes down to ultimately. This is the last thing I'll say. God has revealed Himself to you. You know the truth about who He is. He has revealed it in nature. That He is holy, He is powerful beyond us. He gives you the opportunity through His Word. He gives you and I the opportunity through His Word to know His reviving Spirit. To know His life-giving Spirit. To know a sure foundation. All of those things. He gives us that opportunity, but He's not going to force any one of us to do it. So the question today for the church is, do we desire that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to the God who has chosen to reveal Himself from heaven to us? Is that a concern for us today? Is that a concern for you today or tomorrow, the next day or the next day? Do I desire that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to Him? And today, if you need to pray about those things, if you don't know God that way, you can come and pray over here. Somebody will pray with you. You can come over here and pray by yourself. Nobody, nobody will come pray with you. But do you know Him in that way? Do you know God in that way? Do you know Him as the Creator who has revealed Himself to you? Do you know Him through His Word, His life-giving Word? And are you walking in the freedom knowing God that way? God, we thank You today for the opportunity again to know You and to be with You. Father, we're so thankful today that You have revealed Yourself to us through Your Word and through Your Spirit and through creation that there is never a moment that we can go through our day where we don't see something that you have revealed about yourself. That you are not hidden from us. You are not hidden from any man. But the evidence of your existence, your holiness, your glory is all around us. Father, help us to be people that would desire to glorify you in the words of our mouth, in the meditation of our hearts. Father, we love you today. In your name we pray. Amen.